0: brethren, we are living in very exciting, interesting, and sobering times. You know, we watch the news every night, and we are seeing prophecies come alive that we have been talking about, preaching about, praying about for literally decades. And yet almost every night, every day on the news, something is happening that fits into Bible prophecy. You know, about eight years ago, the living church of God had to start all over. And yet today, about 8 years later, the uh, Tomorrow's World circulation is over 325,000 magazines. We're getting responses on television, as we just heard, over 5,000 responses to Ms. Raim's uh, program on Armageddon. We're revamping our Internet presence. You know, things are growing. Things are moving. Things are exciting. You know, that big picture is exciting to see. And yet, as we heard in the announcements, it's sobering, too, whenever we see people that are worried and troubled, that they're worried that the church is gone liberal, that we're watering down the truth, we're changing doctrine, and preaching a different gospel. And some people are drifting off in one direction or another because they hear these accusations. You know, one of the major individuals firing these accusations is David Peck. He puts his stuff on the Internet, uh, basically claiming that he has got to defend the true gospel against the enemies of God who are attacking Jesus Christ's gospel. And he uses a scripture in Philippians that we'll look at a little bit later that he totally misapplies. According to Mr. Pack's written material, and you get this on the internet or in his booklets, there's only one true gospel. There's only one gospel that the Bible preaches, teaches, There was only one gospel that Mr. Armstrong taught, and that was the kingdom of God. And the living church of God is teaching a false gospel because we're mixing Jesus Christ with the gospel of the kingdom of God. These are his claims. When you read his material, he states very plainly, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom of God. He goes out on a limb and makes these very dogmatic statements. He states that the gospel of the kingdom of God is not about the forgiveness of sins. And this is blasted to the world. He makes very dogmatic statements. He's going out on a limb. He's very dogmatic about these things. People are being told that the living church of God is preaching a wrong gospel. As a result some people hear these things and some people are confused and they're wondering are we teaching a different gospel have we changed the gospel you know what's happening in the church what are all these changes that are happening and coming around my question this afternoon to you is are you confused are you worried have you bought into a different gospel Is the church changing the gospel? Has the living church of God jumped the tracks? Are we turning Protestant? These are all the charges out there. And some people say, well, I don't read the Internet. But, you know, millions of people do read the Internet. Have you been deceived? Are you being deceived by the leaders of the church of God? Should we go all the way back? to what the church preached and taught 30 or 40 years ago, as some would like to do today? Or is the church of God today going through a growing phase where we are coming to understand the gospel even more deeply, more completely? These are things we need to think about. These are things we need to ask. Is the gospel only about the kingdom of God? Does it include the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Does it involve salvation? These are questions that need to be asked. And this is not just an academic issue. Somebody somebody might say, well, I'm not really overly interested in doctrine. (laughs) But, you know, it's not just an academic issue. This issue is going to become a test case. In fact, it is already a test case for a number of people. They're going to have to make a decision, and exercise discernment. Where is God working today? Who is he working through? And where is he leading today? These are decisions that people are going to have to make. If they see clearly, they're going to be able to stay with the truth and finish the work. If they get confused, they're going to go off in some different direction. And they're not going to be involved in finishing the work of God today. And we're not talking about some little issue. I realize we've had a number of sermons on this. Dr. Meredith has addressed the issue. Mr. Ames has addressed the issue. But it's an issue that is going around the country. From what I see, from where I sit, not large numbers are leaving, but there are people that are confused. People are wondering, what is the truth? Are we changing the doctrines of the, of the church? Are we changing the teachings of Mr. Armstrong? What's happening? What I would like to do today is to show that the gospel clearly includes other dimensions beside the kingdom of God. It clearly does. What I would like to ask is what is the biblical gospel? I'm not going to use Mr. Armstrong's booklets. I'm not going to use Dr. Meredith's booklets. I'm not going to use anybody's booklets. What is the biblical gospel? What does the Bible say about the gospel? Because when you look into the Bible and study about the gospel, you will come to see that Mr. Pax claims that the gospel is only about the kingdom of God and does not include Christ's sacrifice is wrong. It's wrong. Mr. Bryce's idea is that we're confused about the gospel today by including Jesus Christ's sacrifice is also wrong. And you will see this clearly from the scriptures. The claim to be defending the true gospel is to use Philippians in a wrong way, as we will also see. We need to see these things clearly. The claim that we are teaching a different gospel in Galatians is also taking Galatians out of context, as you will see when you go through those scriptures. One of the reasons that um, Mr. Bryce, Mr. Pack have gone out on a limb that's going to fall off one of these days is that they're quoting Mr. Armstrong extensively, and yet Mr. Armstrong did not focus on some of the scriptures that we're going to talk about today as we will see. I think he understood those scriptures, but he didn't focus on them in his writings. So they take some of his writings and they're going to miss the boat. I would suggest very strongly that what we cover this afternoon is that you don't believe me. You do your own studies in the scriptures and see what the scriptures plainly say because that is where we need to go. Not to somebody's writings, but to the scriptures. I've entitled the sermon today, The Biblical Gospel. What is the biblical gospel? Not the gospel according to this person or that person, but what does the Bible say about the gospel? If we stay focused on the biblical gospel, we're not gonna be deceived, and it's not going to change. But I think we will see we're going to come to understand it more clearly as we go down the road. I want to look at four aspects of the gospel this afternoon. Hopefully we'll get through all these. If we don't, we can make a sermon out of one of the other points that I don't get through. But let's look at four aspects of the gospel. You know and I know that the kingdom of God is a major aspect of the gospel. If you turn to Mark chapter 1, just to look at a couple of scriptures quickly, Mr. Armstrong always went here to start. You know, this is one of the reasons I am in the church of God today when I heard the gospel and read it in the Bible about the kingdom of God. It made more sense than anything I'd ever heard. It was exciting. It's still exciting. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. He was there as a representative of that kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God is referred to over 150 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's referred to as the gospel of the kingdom of God. Other times it's referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. Other times, it's referred to as the kingdom. But you know what it's talking about when you read it in context. Notice in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Notice what it says, and also notice what it doesn't say. Mark sixteen fifteen, Christ is talking with his disciples, giving them a commission. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To every person. Now, I've explained this in the past. Well, they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God because that's what Christ was preaching in Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. But here it just says, go and preach the gospel. So, to find out what they preach, we've got to go to the writings of the apostles and we'll find out there's more there than just the kingdom of God. I want to read you something quickly from uh, Mr. Armstrong's book, The Incredible Human Potential. On page 17, you might want to make some notes and just check these things later. He's talking about the gospel, and he mentions and uses some of these scriptures uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14-15, and 15, talks about Jesus preaching the kingdom, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then he mentions in Acts chapter 8, I think it's verse 11 or 12, that G, or Philip came down to Samaria, uh, preaching things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he quotes Acts chapter 20 verse 25 where Paul says I have gone preaching the kingdom of God uh, and you will see my face no more. He was talking to the elders in Ephesus. In Acts 28 verse 23 it says Paul expounded and testified the kingdom of God and then in 28 verse 30 of Acts it says Paul dwelt two old years in his own hired house, received all that came to him preaching the kingdom of God. then Mr. Armstrong asks the question, did Paul preach any other gospel than the kingdom of God? How would you answer that? Let's turn to Acts chapter 20 and let the Bible answer it. Acts chapter 20. If we read the section of scripture there and not just one verse... Mr. Armstrong quoted Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Let's just read it while we're here. Verse 25, indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. So he was preaching the kingdom of God. But now let's back up. Verse 17, uh, Paul went to Ephesus, called for the elders of the church. And then he spoke to them. In verse twenty he says "And how I have kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also the Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel. Notice what he was preaching about repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ." And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul had had the premonitions of what was coming. He knew it was going to be problems. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. I'm not bothered by, by what I see coming down the road nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he was testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. He was preaching about the kingdom of God. He was also preaching about faith towards or repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. And Mr. Armstrong didn't really emphasize the gospel of the grace of God here. He focused on the kingdom of God. If we go back to Acts chapter 8 quickly, what was Philip preaching about? Again, the apostles were commissioned to preach the gospel all around the world. In verse 12 of Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ... Notice the gospel is not used in this verse. What he was preaching was the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, Dave Pack and some others want to split this verse apart and say he was preaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. The the name of Jesus Christ was something different, but the verse doesn't say that. It says he was preaching the gospel, he was preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Acts chapter 28, towards the end of, actually at the end of the book, notice what Paul was preaching. So We've got to be careful we don't read something into these verses that is not there. Verse 23, so when they appointed him a day, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Notice the word gospel is not here. So you can't take the gospel and make it the kingdom of God and then don't make the teachings about Jesus Christ not the gospel. The gospel word is not there. Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel, and this is what he was preaching. Then he talks about uh, a scripture from Isaiah that people are going to hear and not understand. But notice in verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you, Paul is preaching to these people, that salvation of God, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Jews didn't hear it, but the Gentiles would hear it. So Paul was talking about the salvation of God in the context of preaching the gospel to these people. Verse 30, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning which concern the Lord Jesus. Again, the word gospel is not used here, so you can't make preaching the kingdom of God the gospel and not make preaching about Jesus Christ, not the gospel. The Bible talks about preaching the kingdom of God, about Jesus Christ, about salvation. Uh, Paul was preaching about the gospel of grace. We just read that in uh, Acts chapter uh, 20, verse 24. So Paul did preach a number of other things besides just the kingdom of God. So this idea that the gospel doesn't include anything about Jesus Christ, as we will see, is simply not biblical. Paul did preach about other aspects. Now this will probably bother some people that, well, you know, they're saying things different than Mr. Armstrong did and they're changing things. Mr. Armstrong understood that salvation was part of the gospel. Let me just read you quickly page 193 in this book, The Incredible Human Potential. Mr. Armstrong understood what the gospel was about, but when he wrote about some things, he focused on the kingdom of God and he didn't focus on some of these other issues. Page 193 in The Incredible Human Potential. Mr. Armstrong makes this statement. <clears throat> or is it one, it was 195. Jesus' gospel was the kingdom of God. Does that have anything to do with the afterlife, with spiritual salvation? It has everything to do with it. But the whole world is deceived and asleep. The gospel of the kingdom of God has to do basically with two themes government, and spiritual salvation. So Mr. Armstrong understood the gospel had to do with salvation, but he didn't go into it that much in this particular discussion of the Bible. I don't know where where Mr. Pack totally gets his idea that uh, uh, the gospel does not include salvation. It doesn't include the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But it could come from this statement that Mr. Armstrong made, just asking the question Did uh, Jesus or did Paul preach any other gospel? Well, he did talk about other aspects of the gospel. But if you lift that statement out and assume he never talked about anything else, then you're drawing a wrong conclusion. Back on page uh, 17 or 18 of The Incredible Human Potential, he does mention the gospel of grace. And I want to talk about, this Would be Roman numeral uh, 2 in the sermon. Roman numeral 1 was basically the gospel of the kingdom of God. We understand that the gospel does include the kingdom of God. It's all about the coming kingdom of God. And we know that, you know that. That's why I'm here. This is not changing. Nothing's happening to that. But Roman numeral number 2, the gospel of grace, which uh, Paul mentions in Acts 20, verse 24, Mr. Armstrong doesn't say too much about it in his book, but the Bible does, and that's why we need to go back to the scriptures. What Mr. Armstrong mentions here is, I have said that you hear many gospel programs today. Now, he's writing in 1978. One uses the slogan, Preaching Christ to the Nations. One might ask, well, what's wrong with preaching about Christ? Or, what's wrong about preaching a gospel of grace? Or, what's wrong with proclaiming a message about salvation? It says, I have shown you the scriptures showing that they started even in the first century preaching about a different Jesus, a Jesus supposed to have abolished his father's commandments, who turned grace into license. And if you turn to, uh, you don't need to turn there, but maybe put in your notes Jude, verse 4, where Mr. Armstrong refers to this statement there where they turned the, uh, the grace of God into licentiousness. And it's what many Protestants preach today, that we're under grace. We don't have to keep the commandments. Christ kept them for us. We don't need to keep the Sabbath. That's Old Testament. We're under grace today. And Mr. Armstrong correctly nails that, that that was a misapplication of the term. He also mentions if those who proclaim to preach a gospel of salvation understood and proclaimed what salvation really was or is, whether it is going to a place, being changed into a different condition, becoming a spirit being, or what or where or how it might be obtained, it might be part of the true gospel. In other words, he understood that salvation might be part of the true gospel if it was explained properly. And yet, according to Mr. Pack and Mr. Bryce, well, salvation is not part of the gospel, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel, and forgiveness of sins is not part of the gospel, But it is if you read the scriptures, if you read the scriptures, which is what we need to do. Let's notice just a little bit about the gospel of grace. You know, I was a Protestant growing up, and I heard these terms. We're under grace, and it was kind of this icky, sticky uh, type of thing. It really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at that time. And when I heard grace, it was kind of like, ooh, what is that? Uh, We have defined it in the church as unmerited pardon, which is basically correct. But look up the word grace in a concordance. It not only means unmerited pardon, it means favor. It means favor. It means a gift. Uh, It means um, kindness. It means a benefit, a blessing. It could probably also mean understanding. Understanding. Grace is something we don't deserve, but it's also a favor that God has extended to us. You know, it wasn't until I began doing a Bible study, and I would encourage all of you, do a Bible study on grace. It it means a lot more than just uh, not having to keep the commandments. Of course, it doesn't even mean that. But do a Bible study on grace. And I think it will change your mind from viewing grace as this icky, sticky editorial filler that is used in the Bible to something that's very powerful and very meaningful. And I think as we approach the Passover, we need to understand the grace of God and perhaps repent of our misunderstanding of grace. I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about a word in the Bible. As I mentioned, the kingdom of God or the word kingdom is used about 150 times in the New Testament. Believe it or not, grace is used 130 times in the New Testament. It's not an insignificant word. It's not an insignificant concept. It's also used 39 times in the Old Testament. Let me just give you some scriptures. We're not going to turn to all of these. But in Genesis 6, 8, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He just didn't find a little gold coin like uh, Mr. Lyons used in the sermonette. He found grace. It was not some icky, sticky, touchy-feely type of thing. When Noah found grace in the eyes of God, he did not perish in the flood. His life was spared, and the life of everyone in his family was spared because he found grace in the eyes of God, favor in the eyes of God, unmerited pardon in the eyes of God. John verse, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 mentions, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It mentions we have received grace. Let's turn to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> because if you take the word grace and then look up how it is used in the Bible, you can't come away from a Bible study like that with a very fuzzy feeling of grace. It's going to be a very meaningful term. In Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 24 it's really interesting going through the book of Acts to actually see what the apostles preached what they preached about what was the subject of their discussions Acts chapter 11 beginning in verse 19 says now those who were scattered after the persecution arose that arose after Stephen traveled to as far as Phoenicia uh, Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to no one but uh, the Jews only But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. They were preaching about Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now notice verse 23. When Barnabas came, when he came and had seen the grace of God, what did he see? Flashing lights? People saying rosaries? What did he see there? When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man full of faith. But basically what he saw there were a large number of people beginning to understand and believe the truth a large number of people were beginning to understand the truth of God because of the grace of God, the favor of God. He'd given them the capacity to understand. You and I are here today because of the grace of God. Your mind has been opened to understand the truth of God. Now what you do with that is another story. But to understand the plan and purpose of God, to understand the scriptures, to understand about Jesus Christ, to understand about the coming kingdom of God, to understand is a gift that you've been given. Turn back quickly to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Now this involves the grace of God. It may not be mentioned specifically here, but this is what it's all about. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, the disciples came to him, to Christ, and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, that you're not going to float up into space. You're not going to sit on a cloud playing a harp. You have been called to prepare to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. Your mind has been open to understand that concept. I remember the first time I heard a minister go through the meaning of the holy days. He just kind of reviewed all of them on the Feast of Trumpets. First Feast of Trumpets I'd ever kept. And I turned around to an older person behind me after services and the person said, what do you think of uh, the message? I said, he just blew my mind. <laughs> he just blew my mind. I've never heard anything. Like that before see it's the grace of God that opens your mind to begin to understand. Without that grace, without that gift that God is giving you, you wouldn't understand. You'd be out shopping today. You'd be doing other things. you wouldn't be here. The grace of God is not some little thing, not some touchy feeling thing. It's a gift. it's a benefit. It's something very special that God has given. Barnabas saw many people beginning to understand because of the grace of God. Acts chapter 13, verse 43. Acts 13, verse 43. So, but when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy Excuse me, wrong verse. Uh, Paul was preaching to the, in the synagogues of the Jews, verse 42. It says, when the Jews went out, they were in Antioch, of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now what does that mean, to continue in the grace of God? Well, you continue living according to the things you're beginning to understand. They were learning about clean and unclean meats. They were learning about, you know, you don't commit adultery. You don't commit fornication. What he's saying is continue in the grace of God. Continue living in the way that you're learning to live. Acts chapter 15. This was part of the council decisions there in Jerusalem about the uh, issue of circumcision, whether men should be circumcised or had to become circumcised to be Christians. In Acts chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, it says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we could bear? Some were insisting the Gentiles had to be circumcised. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Talking about salvation, it's a matter of grace. This is part of what they were preaching. Paul mentions several other places in Romans chapter 1, I think it's verse 5, where he mentions that we have received grace and apostleship. Paul was an apostle by the grace of God. He was an apostle, but he had killed people. He stood by while Stephen was being stoned, and yet God called him and made him an apostle, a gift, a tremendous opportunity through the grace of God. No small thing, and I'm sure that was no small thing to Paul. In Romans 3, verse 24, he mentions, we're justified by grace through the redemption of In Jesus Christ. Christ died for us and then by grace we are redeemed. Our sins have been paid for. This is part of what Paul was preaching. Now let's go to Galatians quickly. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. This is an interesting scripture because this is one that everybody goes to. Oh, you're preaching a different gospel. And you're going to get it for doing that. If you ask the question, what gospel was Paul preaching? You get a very interesting answer in Galatians chapter uh, 1. Let's just look at a number of things here. We'll jump ahead a little bit in our story, but uh, that's fine. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. From him who called you in the grace of Christ, again this grace is the capacity to understand, and you're turning away so soon. He says, "It's interesting. I read some uh, letters on the internet. A person you. I never heard of so and so until two weeks ago, but my eyes have been open, and now I see he's got the truth.' They don't consult with people that knew somebody for 40 years. They've known him for two weeks." And here I go down that road, not wise, not wise at all. And Paul is saying here, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you. And that's basically what's happening in the church today. There are some that are troubling others in the church. By throwing out these ideas that the living church of God is preaching a false gospel, they're changing the gospel. They're doing all these things. They are troubling people. And some are troubled and worried over that. Who want to pervert the gospel. To pervert it means to distort it. Some are saying that Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel. Well, it is if you read the book. It is. But some are saying it's not. These are things you've got to prove to yourself. But everybody wants to jump on this like this next verse. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. So some were preaching a different gospel. Now we'll leave what that gospel was that was being preached uh, for just a minute. We'll come back to that. Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And this was a key scripture to put a circle around a number of scriptures say the same thing but this says it all in just a couple of verses Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 again Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel to the world what was that gospel what do we find here in verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood Jesus Christ died for you and for me the forgiveness of sins, that's why he died, according to the <clears throat> riches of his grace. You didn't deserve to be called. You didn't deserve to be forgiven. I didn't deserve to be called. I, didn't, I don't deserve to be forgiven. But Paul is saying here, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, according to the riches of his grace. Grace is no little thing. Paul talked about the gospel of grace, the fact that we can be forgiven of our sins. Notice then in uh, Titus, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is part of what Paul was preaching. This is part of what Paul was preaching. This is part of the gospel, as we will see. By grace, this gift, this unmerited pardon, you have been saved through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> now, I realize there are a lot of scriptures here, but that's exactly my point. If we go to the Bible, we'll find out how the Bible defines these issues. And we don't have to argue over, well, this, book's, this booklet says this, and this booklet says that. What does the book say? <laughs> That's the important thing. Chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation, so grace is linked with salvation, has appeared unto all men. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Grace is important. Verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Probably need to start a little bit earlier here. Um, Start in verse 4. But when the kindness... "...and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, that is the Holy Spirit, or whom it probably should be, whom it poured out upon us uh, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior." that having been justified by His grace, you've been forgiven, you've been made right with God, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's through grace that we have this hope of eternal life. You might want to do your own Bible study on hope. The Bible talks about a gospel of hope. In Colossians 1, verse 23, a gospel of hope. Look up hope and see what hope is linked to. Hope of eternal life. Hope of a resurrection. Hope of the kingdom of God. The Bible makes it very clear what a gospel of grace and a gospel of hope is all about. Is no little thing. It's a very important thing. The gospel of grace is much more than... Uh, just a license to disobey the commandments. It's not about that. That's a mistaken Protestant term. The term grace is used over 130 times in the New Testament. It's interesting. Mr. Armstrong doesn't dwell on this gospel of grace. I was talking with someone before services, and the comment was Mr. Armstrong was an advertising man. He wanted to show the difference between the Protestant idea of grace and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Yeah, I grew up in a Protestant church. My understanding of the kingdom of God was this warm feeling in your heart. Not about a dynamic coming kingdom. And Mr. Armstrong saw that, focused on that. But he didn't say a lot about the gospel of grace. Now when we point out some of these things, this bothers some people. Oh, you're changing what Mr. Armstrong taught or something. And it creates what they call in educational circles as cognitive dissonance. In other words, you see... What Mr. Armstrong said, and then you see something in the Bible, and that looks different. So, oh, get all worried. But you know, you can resolve that cognitive dissonance by reading the Bible. You just go to the scriptures. Mr. Armstrong said time after time, don't believe me, believe the Bible. And when you go to the Bible, it becomes very plain and very clear. And all these things that people are jumping up and down on uh, become ridiculous. They're out on a limb that's not based on the scriptures and it's going to break one of these days. It's going to become very obvious because they're not preaching according to the scriptures. Let's look at another aspect of the gospel, which uh, some people feel doesn't belong as part of the gospel. Roman numeral number three, the gospel of salvation. Paul uses the term The gospel of salvation. He did talk about other things besides the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let's look quickly at uh, Ephesians chapter one and verse thirteen, so that you can see and you can read what Paul was talking about. Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen. It says in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom you have believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Paul is talking about a gospel of salvation. What does this mean? Salvation is used over 100, and almost 120 times in the, old, in the Old Testament. We tend to think of salvation as well. That's a New Testament term. No, to be used over 120 times in the Old Testament, this is a concept that runs through the Scripture. They were talking about salvation in the Old Testament. It's used about 45 times in the New Testament. Let's just uh, mention a couple of scriptures. And I would again encourage you get out your concordance, write down salvation, and notice how the word is used, where it is used. And it is part of the gospel. It's a very powerful part of the gospel, in spite of the fact that some people say it doesn't belong there. It boils down to who you are you going to believe? A self-appointed apostle or the Bible. You have to make that decision. In Exodus 14, verse 13, it says, Stand and see the salvation of God. That's what Moses was told just before God parted the Red Sea. The salvation—the word salvation means to be saved from destruction. Now Moses was there leading people. Here comes Pharaoh and his army and the people, and, Moses, do something! And Moses said, God, do something. (laughs) God says, stand and see the salvation. The wind blows, the water parts. They head down through it. I imagine that would have been a scary experience, probably better than Universal Studios' fake imitation of the whole thing. You picture riding through uh, the Dead Sea, there might be walls of water 30, 40, 50 feet high. You look in there, it's like looking into an aquarium. Look at the fish in there (laughs) swimming around. But they made it across, and it's, uh-oh, here they come behind us. And all of a sudden, Bloom! see the salvation of God. They saw it, but they forgot too. This is used in the Old Testament, in the Psalms. David talks about salvation belongs to God. Psalm 3, verse 8, and there's a number of other Psalms that talk about it. Isaiah 45, verse 17 talks about Israel will be saved with an everlasting salvation. For that to have any meaning, you've got to have eternal life. It's a concept that is there. Look at Scripture in 1 Chronicles 16. This may be translated slightly differently in different translations. I'm using a new King James. But in 1 Chronicles 16, this was a Song that David had composed uh, when the ark was placed in the tabernacle. <clears throat> and he's praising God. But notice in verse 23 and 24, David was singing this in the Old Testament Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among nations and his wonders among all people. David was singing about salvation. He says, declare it to the whole world. The good news. The gospel of salvation. David was talking about it. A couple of other scriptures in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Now this is prophetic. And this verse is quoted uh, in the New Testament several different times. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And it's talking about his first coming, but the implication is also talking about a second coming. Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Now, he didn't give, you know, the physical salvation to the Israelites uh, that in his time, but that's coming in the future. Lowly riding on a donkey. So here's a prophecy of Jesus Christ coming, but it talks about him coming as a king and having salvation. That salvation ultimately will be in the future. Now let's go to the New Testament quickly. In Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, talking about salvation. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse... uh, 76 and 77, a prophecy of John the Baptist, what he would do, what his mission was. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. How do you prepare the ways for Jesus Christ? To give knowledge of salvation to his people. That was John's mission, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. That was, that's what John was preaching about. It is part of the gospel. You can't deny it. It's there. It's very plain and very clear. In uh, verse 79 of Luke chapter 1, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, Paul talks about a gospel of peace in Ephesians. John was talking about it there. And the Bible talks about it other places. Now, let's jump to uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Just noting what the, the, the apostles were preaching about. Acts chapter 4. And verse 12, they were to be preaching the gospel, and this is what they were preaching. This is Peter in verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, talking about Jesus Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We've got to believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and his promises to us. But it gets more interesting. Acts chapter 13. And again, you cannot read these scriptures and come away with the idea that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 5. So when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So what were they preaching uh, in verse 13? Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphros, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, uh, and they were preaching there in the synagogues, verse 14 basically to Jews here, and they went through kind of the history of the Jews, but notice in verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. We came here to preach about salvation, the gospel of salvation. I'm skipping over some things, talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ there in intervening verses down in verse 32. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus Christ, raised up Jesus. They were preaching the glad tidings. Look the word up in the Greek comes from the word evangelizo, which means to preach about the gospel. So here they were preaching about Jesus Christ, resurrection of the gospel. It's called glad tidings, evangelizo, the gospel. What else were they preaching? Verse 38. Now therefore let it be known to you, brethren, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. It was part of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the laws of Moses. They went on then. Uh, The Jews gave them some static, verse 44. Verse 45, this is when the Jews saw that the multitude, saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold, said, it is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And what did they preach to the Gentiles? Verse 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, and he quotes uh, Isaiah here, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation or you should bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's what they were commissioned to do. Preach a gospel of salvation that your sins can be forgiven. You can gain eternal life. Chapter 14, verse 7 says, and they were preaching the gospel there. They were preaching the gospel. This is what they were preaching This idea that the you know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel is, in plain words, baloney. Beef (laughs) baloney. You know, it just doesn't fit. Chapter sixteen of Acts. Chapter sixteen of Acts. This is interesting. Paul had a vision, had a dream, had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, Come, come on over here. Notice what he said, notice what happened, how it's described. And a vision appeared to Paul, verse 9 of Acts 16, in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Why did he want Paul in Macedonia? Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding from the vision... That the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what did he go preaching? Drop down here to verse 17. He encountered this girl that was possessed by a spirit and she started following him around. Verse 17. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Paul was called to preach the gospel. This girl said they're preaching about a way of salvation. Salvation is part of the gospel in spite of what some people want to say today. Let's go to Romans chapter, uh, <clears throat> chapter 1. You know, if we just read what Paul was preaching, this whole idea that uh, Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel just does not hold water. When whoever is preaching that is out on a limb, it's going to break off one of these days. In verse 1 of Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel, separated to preach the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what was he preaching about? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was both the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power. How is he declared to be the Son of God? According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We've got people today that are writing books claiming that uh, you know, the idea of a virgin birth, the idea of a resurrection of the dead, it's not scientific, can't believe it. These are atheists that are writing. And are making fun of what you and I believe. They're making fun about what the Bible preaches. But they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even know the scriptures. They just pull things out here and pull things out there. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. For obedience to the faith among the nations to his name. Down in verse 16 of Chapter 1 of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He's not talking about the kingdom of God here. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Salvation is part of the gospel. A very important part of the gospel. Now, Paul is consistent from Romans to Corinthians to other uh, of the epistles we look at First Corinthians chapter one. <clears throat> Again, we read in Romans, chapter one, verse one, that Paul was separated to the gospel. He was separated to preach the gospel. And what was he preaching? First Corinthians chapter one, verses 17 to 18. Here's what Paul was preaching in Corinth. Verse 17, "For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel." Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Christ died on a cross. He was resurrected from the grave. He died for our sins. This is what Paul was focusing on. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. These guys are writing books today. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead? Come on. Things like that don't happen. That's a myth. And people that believe it are stupid. This is what they're writing today. But the apostles died because of what they saw. You don't die for silly ideas. You don't die for somebody's theories. You die for the truth. And they did. Many people did. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, this is part of the gospel, it is the power of God. These things are very powerful parts of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, he's supposed to be preaching the gospel, that's his mission. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And somebody might say, well, that's too Protestant for me. (laughs) Take it up with Paul. (laughs) Take it up with the God who inspired and preserved the Bible. I think Paul and some of these detractors today are going to have a very interesting discussion sometime if they have that opportunity. It's going to be very sobering, I think. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, Mr. Pack does a very interesting little dance when he reads this and tries to explain this. But it's very clear when you read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, which you receive and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. Now, Mr. Pack says, well, he's talking about something different when he mentions the gospel and he's talking about something different when he talks about these other things. Read the sentence, not even a period there. Paul just continues with his concepts. I declare unto you the gospel by which you are saved if you hold fast. Now, we've got to hold fast to the right gospel today. That word which I preached unto you, unless you, are believe, you believe in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, fundamentally, first and foremost, that which you also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is what Paul was preaching. The reason he focuses on the resurrection, the death and resurrection here, and not the gospel of the kingdom, is explained in verse 12. They were being told, they were being troubled by others, that the resurrection didn't occur. Then Paul says, it did occur. <laughs> That's what I explained to you fundamentally a long time ago. And you're drifting off to another gospel. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there's no resurrection? He said, look, it's fundamental. That's why he focused on that and not in the kingdom of God. Let's go to Philippians <clears throat> chapter 1, because this is quoted by Mr. Pack. He says, know, I've got to defend the true gospel. Well, let's notice how Peter uses the term. Mr. Pack is accusing us of preaching a false gospel because we mix, or we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of grace, the gospel of salvation. <clears throat> We've already read parts of this. He says, I marvel that you're so soon turned to another gospel. What did they turn from and what did they turn to? You just read the book. Read the book. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I jumped to the wrong book. Did I start with Galatians or Philippians? <laughs> Let's go to Philippians first. <laughs> my apologies. <clears throat> the defense of the gospel, Philippians 1, verse 7. But basically, it's the same thing. Is it justice that it is right for me to think all this of you, because I have in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, that you are partakers with me of grace. So uh, Paul was defending the gospel. He says, you're partakers of grace. In verse 17, uh, verse 16, let's start there. Verse 15, let's try that one. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and that's what's happening today, and some also from goodwill. The former, those people preaching out of envy and strife, uh, preach Christ from selfish ambition. They've got to be on top of the heap, have their own church. Not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. They're preaching a gospel and trying to say that we're preaching a wrong one, hopefully to mess us up. But the latter, those preaching uh, out of goodwill, out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, what gospel was that he was defending? Verse 18, what then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached. They were preaching about Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We're talking about salvation and we're talking about Jesus Christ. Over in verse 27 and 28, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This has to do with following the teachings of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. And we've got adversaries today that are bothering other people, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you salvation. And then over in verse two or chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's interesting, the kingdom of God is not mentioned in the book of Philippians. The kingdom of God is not mentioned at all in the book of Philippians, yet Paul talks about the gospel. He talks about salvation. He talks about Jesus Christ. But he doesn't mention the kingdom of God in the book of Philippians. Which has got to tell you there's more to the gospel than just the kingdom of God. I mean, that should be a very obvious conclusion. Now let's look at Galatians, because this is Paul is coming from the same direction. Galatians chapter one, he talks about to being turning, or turning to a different gospel, turning to a different gospel. What were they turning from, and what were they turning to? The issue in Galatians is people were being told they've got to be circumcised. They've got to be circumcised. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I have run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, Paul introduces this issue, uh, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who come in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. In other words, you've got to be circumcised. To whom, now notice what Paul says here, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. What Paul is mentioning here is the truth that you don't have to be circumcised is the truth of the gospel. He's not talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about some very practical things here. And then he mentions in verse 7 that uh, the gospel of the uncircumcised has been committed to me. The gospel of the circumcised was given given to Peter. They both had missions to perform. Verse 11, But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Peter folded under pressure in this particular case. They weren't supposed to be associating, according to Jewish customs, with with Gentiles, with uncircumcised people. Peter knew that they could, but whenever the Jews were there, he kind of backed away. So he folded under pressure. When Peter had come, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were in the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now notice verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he's not talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about this teaching about circumcision. And then he explains it a little bit more down here in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the truth of the gospel. And it's not about the kingdom of God here. It's about the truth that you're not justified by works. In this case, it was circumcision. Today it might be some people feel, well, I'm justified because uh, I'm not wearing makeup or something like that. You know, they had their works of the law, we have our works today, in many ways. But Paul is saying here the truth of the gospel. In this case, he's not talking about the kingdom of God. He is talking about works versus faith. And it has to do with grace. These are things, brethren, that the Bible makes very clear. We're not going to have time to go into the gospel of peace, but you can breathe and sigh of relief. <laughs> We can do that in a future sermon. But Paul talks about in Ephesians. Let's just notice it quickly just so that you know it's there. Paul talks about a gospel of grace. He talks about a gospel of salvation. And in Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> 13, 14, and 15, let's just put it in context. This is what Paul was preaching to the Ephesians. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The Bible says, Thy word is truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, obeying the commandments of God, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. God's laws point us to the way of peace. We're going to have a chance to show the world the way to peace when Jesus Christ returns. He's going to return as what? The prince of peace. And government and peace will be on his shoulders and it's not going to end. That's not exactly bad news. (laughs) That is good news. That is the gospel. That's what the Bible is all about. And these people that are saying, you know, the gospel is only about the kingdom of God and not about grace, not about salvation, not about peace. Don't know the scriptures. They're not preaching according to the scriptures. But people are going to have to make up their minds who is preaching the truth and who is not preaching the truth. Who is out on a limb and who is hanging on to the trunk of the tree? And people are going to have to make those decisions. Let me conclude by drawing a couple of lessons. We are being accused of preaching a false gospel, of changing the gospel. Uh, People are being told that the gospel is only about the kingdom of God and does not include the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, doesn't include salvation, doesn't doesn't include the forgiveness of sins. We have just read the scriptures that show these ideas are wrong. If you study the scriptures, and I would really encourage all of you to do that, do your own study. If you don't believe me, believe the Bible. So that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know what the truth is. And you're not going to be blown away by some of these accusations that are being made. A couple of lessons very quickly. Number one. If we study only the writings of Mr. Armstrong and selected scriptures, we are not going to grow. If we only study the writings of Mr. Armstrong, which some want us to do, let's go back, way back, clear back, and just study Mr. Armstrong. Mr. Armstrong wrote this book that we've used here in 1978, almost 30 years ago. Have we learned anything in 30 years? Is God revealing anything in 30 years? We are told to hold fast to those things that are right and true. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 But if we read 2 Peter 3.18 We read that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I grew, I learned doing the Bible studies on grace. I think we'll all grow if we study the scriptures. Mr. Armstrong has changed. He did change. As Dr. Meredith comments, Mr. Parting has commented on Pentecost, on divorce and remarriage, a number of other things. When he saw what was true, when when he understood it, he changed. We're not changing anything. What we're doing is focusing on elements of the gospel that we haven't focused on as much in the past. That's lesson number one. We need to study the scriptures. Lesson number two, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you always, talking to his church, even to the end of the age. He did not say, I will be with you until Mr. Armstrong dies and you're on your own. For you have to freeze in time what you understood at a certain point in time. The Bible doesn't say that. You know, I attended Loma Linda University, a Seventh Day Adventist school, and they have frozen in time to a degree. Whatever Ellen White wrote, wrote, yeah, whatever Ellen White wrote, tongue twister. <laughs> they quoted like the Bible, and they really get into problems whenever she said things that don't agree with the scriptures. They got a real case of cognitive dissonance. What do we do? Our prophet has said this, and the Bible says that. Well, we'll fudge these things around. I was in a class one time where the teacher was talking about uh, <clears throat> alcohol. Now, they believe it's wrong to drink alcohol. So this minister who was teaching the class went through about 20 words that were translated, wine, strong drink, whatever. And he said, you know, we, we don't drink because of all these words. One of their students raised their hand said, what about that scripture back in the Old Testament said you could use some of your second tithe for wine or strong drink? <laughs> Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> he looked at his watch and he said, time for a break. <laughs> See, that they, he wouldn't deal with it. He wouldn't deal with it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ will be with us until the end of the age. The challenge for some people today, they're going to have to figure out where is God working today? Who is he working through? Where is he leading? This is going to require a decision. It's going to require discernment. And that should be based on the scriptures, not on gut feelings. It should be based on the scriptures solidly. Conclusion number three. <clears throat> Mark chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus warned against promoting teachings of men over the scriptures. We need to think about in the context of which we're living today, teaching for commandments the doctrines of men. He said, don't do that. The Jews were doing that. We've got this tradition and we need to follow this. The Adventists do that. Well, Ellen White said this, so we do this. We've got to be careful. Mr. Armstrong revealed a lot of things. God used him to reveal a lot of things. But as Dr. Meredith has commented and others have commented, he didn't view his own writings as you know, divinely inspired writings. But some people want to do that today. The biblical gospel is about the kingdom of God. The biblical gospel is about the gospel of grace. The biblical gospel is about a gospel of salvation that includes the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's about a gospel of peace. It's about a hope of the future. The gospel is not divided up into little pieces. The gospel is the gospel. That's why it's called the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God. You can't divide it. You can't cut it up into pieces. It has a number of dimensions to it. It's interesting in Second Corinthians 5.20, it says, we are to be ambassadors of Christ. We are to be ambassadors of Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we're told to study, diligently study, so that we can rightly divide, correctly understand the word of truth. We've got to be doing our own Bible studies so we know what the Bible says. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we need to be ready to give a defense, ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. You know, my hope, and I think your hope, is to be in the kingdom of God. I'm very thankful for the grace that God has given me, and I think you are too. His capacity to understand the truth of God, the opportunity to prepare to rule with Jesus Christ, the gospel the biblical gospel is a gospel of salvation. The Christ died for you. He died for me, so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that we can grow to become like Jesus Christ as our elder brother it 's a gospel of peace. When you understand the truth of God and how it's going to apply to all human beings, it gives you a sense of peace. You know what life is all about. You know what the purpose of life involves. And if we're using the principles of the scriptures, we should be able to be at peace with each other. And this becomes the foundation for another sermon. You know, do we believe the gospel of peace? Do we believe the gospel of grace? Do we believe the gospel of salvation? Do we believe the gospel of the kingdom of God? Brethren, our hope is a biblical gospel. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to get confused. The truth is the truth. And some of these people that have gone out on a limb claiming that Jesus Christ is not part of the gospel are simply wrong.